Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Gary. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we'll be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends cocktail wise so let's hear what's on the show this week new spirits and historic bar and a book guaranteed to hit the right note with cocktail loving music fans all come under the spotlight in this episode and speaking of music we have a special musical treat for you right at the end We start by taking our taste buds to Scotland to sample Birch Botanical Spirit before heading over to Provence for Gin d'Azur. Next, we check into London's oldest serving cocktail bar, the American Bar at the Savoy, to check out its brand new cocktail menu. And, as World Music Day is coming up on 21st of June, not only do we dive into booze and vinyl, a spirited guide to great music and mixed drinks, we also chat with the American Bar's resident pianist and our favourite tinkler of the ivories in the whole wide world, the one, the only, John Nickel. Listen in to hear some of his and our favourite tunes. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh is still a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. So World Martini Day is almost upon us. It's this coming Saturday. Brilliant. One of our very favourite days, indeed. favourite days. And (laughs) I thought, with that in mind, there could only be one cocktail to make. (laughs) What? A margarita? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to make that joke. So anyway, Anywho. anyway, it's gonna be a dry martini, and it, as you say, it's well, you know, it's it's been one of our favourite drinks for longer than I can remember, and with very good reason. It's just it's a brilliant drink, and you go back to it time and again. It always delights mm. and surprises and surprises and delights. And so, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I thought about, should I do some fancy variation? And I decided, no. Good, I'm glad. I mean, it's a classic and it's a classic for a reason. Don't mess with it. So I'm going to go with the classic version. And also, when I say classic, I'm going to go with the version that we most make ourselves. Yes, okay. Because actually, again, in that classic way that we always say, your drink, your way. A martini is very much like that. You can have it wet, you can have it dry, you can have it bone dry, you can have all sorts of variations, just whisked out from the freezer, you know, shaken, stirred, always. And and it's it's a lovely journey to go on and explore that. Mm. But as I say, this is the one that we come back to a lot i know recently you've sometimes had yours a little bit wetter yeah and i've sometimes had mine a little bit drier but i think this is a a good meet in the middle one okay anyway so that's what i'm going to do and what i am going to do is everything is cold 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay and, yeah because no, that's i think one of the many things we've picked up over the year about cocktails martinis in particular yes. is is the coldness so my gin my beef eater gin has been in the freezer so that is you can see that nice the bottle is all frosted where it's mm. been in the freezer and it gives it a lovely viscosity doesn't Ooh, it? i love that word viscosity Indeed. and the martini dry vermouth has been in the fridge where it should live anyway mm. so it's in there and while i'm talking i'm filling up my mixing glass with ice and even how good is this even the mixing glass has been in the freezer for the last couple of hours so mm. uh, i made space for it. i just chucked out some 
vegetables or fruit or something. <laughs> the usual. The usual thing. So I thought, I wondered if you were, because it is World Martini Day, and I love, I love Beef Eater and I love Martini Bianco, but I thought that maybe you might have chosen one of the other gins or one of the other vermouths or no, is I, it... again i just think i just want to went back to basics good with, great with both just classics in their own right obviously and i thought well that's what i'm going to do today to do everything classic so that's why i've chosen those two fabulous ingredients as i say my mixing glass has been in the freezer i whipped that out now got plenty of ice in there i've got my nice cold bottle of beef eater gin so i'm doing as i said a classic sort of ratio so three to one so that's three of gin so hang on oops there we go so i'll do shall i do one each yeah yes you please you're gonna join for goodness sake yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to watch you drinking my favorite drink that would be right. slow torture That's right so i got three of the beef eater and one of the brand new bottle so let me just get that open there you go and one of that and again, as we said, it is a, a case of finding your own, not only your favourite ratios, but your favourite ingredients to do it with. I mean, not ingredients, obviously, it's gin, or it could have been vodka, couldn't it? But we've, we've yeah. chosen gin. Gin is our martini of choice. Well, it's funny as well you say it, because I think for about the first... I don't know, seven or so years that I drank martinis. I drank vodka you do martinis. Like vodka, that, that, yeah. was, that was before I, before our paths crossed. And, mm. uh, and actually, no, no, it carried on a little bit. Anyway, but I, I was first introduced properly to Jim Martini because of beef. Eater, yes, actually, that's which, right. So that's quite good that we are doing yeah, it. With and it was, uh, Dan was Warner. It? Dan Warner, Henry Besson, and Dre Messo. Yes. We were all doing this lovely event that yeah. we were we were lucky enough to be at back in the, I think it was 2008, something like that. Well, it's a long time a long ago. Time. And uh, they introduced us to the joy of the gin martini. And I still had the odd vodka one, but effectively haven't mm. looked back since. So while we're talking, I am stirring, stirring, stirring. And the other thing I think you and I have picked up over the years, talking to different bartenders and picking their brains and top tips and all the rest of it is is always stirring just that perhaps a little bit longer mm. than you kind of think while i'm stirring i'm just adding a bit more rice in there because we want the coldness we want the dilution and that is the thing i think over the years you suddenly think oh that feels about right and then you taste it you think, mm, could be a little, little bit, bit a more. little bit more so it may not sound like there's lots of ice in, in this uh, mixing glass, but trust me, it's right up to the top. <laughs> to the it's brim. Amazing. There is no space for Yeah. I'll have a little taste there to see how we're doing. So just talk amongst yourselves. And also the other thing with the martini is a drink that shouldn't be rushed. Mm. You know, there is a thing. Actually, speaking of not being rushed, there were, in the olden days, it was a thing of having it in three sips, wasn't it? That you had yeah. a martini before it got cold, you know, so before it got cold, before, <laughs> before it, got it got warm. warm. Yeah, yeah. So it was about, you'd have them in smaller little glasses, but you'd have them in three sips. So yeah. that was the beautiful way of enjoying a martini but now we do tend to have them in larger glasses and i wouldn't recommend three sips <laughs> so uh, so yeah that has got to the right dilution and temperature that i'm looking for and i've discarded the ice from our lovely shield glasses whoops pouring that he has made quite a lot, actually, ladies well, and gentlemen. You, yeah. <laughs> and I've got an unwaxed lemon, which has mm. also been in the fridge. I'm going to do a little bit of expressing the oils over the glass there. Yeah, definitely unwaxed. And also, if you can, if you are able to find the fancy Amalfi lemons, yeah. which, top tip, go to Lidl's, everybody. They have Amalfi lemons in there for 45 pence, which is an absolute bargain. Yeah. Thank so you. So there you go. So happy Ooh, that World is Martini super cold. Day, isn't it, though? Wonderful. Right. Do a little cheers there. Happy World Martini Day, everybody. Cheers. Bellissimo. Thank you.
I'm going to bring a little sunshine into your life right now. Thank you so much. Always, always love a little bit of sunshine in my life. And what better sunshine, quite possibly, than from Provence. Lovely. Because I have got a gin here called Gin d'Azur. Great. I hope, as always, that I'm pronouncing that <laughs> correctly. You will tell me if I'm not. I certainly would. And uh, I think I'm right. Gin d'Azur is a relatively, relatively new gin. It's been, a, it's been around since 2019. Right. So only three years. And they describe it as a gin born from the sun, sea and sand of the Côte d'Azur. Lovely. So that really is sunshine right there, isn't it? Before we even get to the taste, all of those descriptions and actually where it's from denotes a great array of sunshine. Nicely put, my friend. Thank you. (laughs) And Yeah, and it does. It kind of paints a nice picture. So in terms of what's actually in it, how it's made, a couple of things. Juniper, yes, but also they're very big on using botanicals from the region so provencal botanicals including thyme rosemary lavender mountain savory star anise and menton lemon peel so but they're all things that are sourced from the area well i should hope so yeah from from the provence but it's also sounding quite savory gin and it's actually very nice that you've picked up on a gin because we missed world gin day which was last weekend so is this a celebration a late celebration of world gin day why not why not (laughs) (laughs) okay so you did plan it then (laughs) everything on this podcast is meticulous Yes, okay. Okay. (laughs) So getting back to those botanicals. And the other thing that I found interesting that they state is that each of the botanicals is actually distilled separately. So rather than all put together in Mm. one still, they're all distilled separately, then blended with a little hint of, I'm going to definitely pronounce this wrong, Camargue salt, Camargue, Camargue. Kamag, maybe. Kamag. Yeah, I Kamag think so. sort, I'm not yeah. sure. Who knows? So there you go. So mm. they, they, they use a little hint of that to bring it all together. And it's distilled and bottled in the cognac region. So should we have a little taste? I think so. I mean, you've bigged it up enough. Now it is all about that taste. So first of all, let's describe the bottle. There's, yeah. Is the bottle tinged or is it the tinge of the spirit? Because from here, it looks a little bit um, sort of like a light violet or blue and i can't quite work out if that's the actual liquid or a tinted glass but anyway we'll see when you pour out it's a it's a lovely illustration on the bottle which kind of brings to life that idea of there's the sun setting over the beach and it's uh looks like somewhere you wouldn't mind reclining while you mm. have a little taste of this so let's have a little, a little sip of gin yeah so it's quite modern in, in yes, look, quite isn't graphic. it? Yeah. Very graphic. So breaking the seal there. Here we go. Yeah. Marvellous. So maybe it is a tinted bottle because it does it does look quite clear in the yeah, glass, doesn't it? Yeah. Or maybe I'm just seeing things. Maybe I'm <laughs> <laughs> not rose tinted spectacles, but lilac tinted <laughs> spectacles. Oh. Okay. Take my glasses yeah. off and well, have a even little without look. going close to it. I've got a big old hmm. Yeah, it has got um, not lavender, but it has got those savory elements to it. Very um, what uh, lovely, like a meadow, isn't it? it meadow, feels, that's yes. it. Yes, it's just that thing I'd said before about the power of suggestion. Yeah, but having said that, you're absolutely right about the meadow, and it feels like it's a sun drenched. Yeah, it's very yeah. fresh and yeah. very not quite so green as as some of the other things that we've we've tasted but there is a beautiful hint of well there's outdoors to me Mm. you know as we said with the meadow oh and the nice um the tasting it's got a lovely did you say lavender in here yes that's what i'm getting on my nose actually not too much you know like sometimes you can get those palmer violets and they can be a little bit too granny-ish in a way yeah yeah yeah. but this is lovely and fresh Mm. As I was saying, it's got, I like the lemon taste. It's got a lot reminds me of sherbet mm. from my childhood. It is quite, quite strong. What's the ABV on this? It's uh, 43. Okay. 43. 
Yeah, you can tell it's a little bit um, stronger than your average gin. But it's lovely, beautifully blended. There's some really nice aromatics in here. As I say, I'm getting the lavender moths. Can you tell me some of the other other botanicals again? Yes. Uh, So thyme, rosemary. Right. Lavender, as you say. Mm. uh, Marjoram. Mountain Mm. savoury. Star anise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't get that. It's interesting putting star anise. Out of all of those botanicals, that one surprises the most of putting it in together. But maybe that gives it a little bit more of that depth as well. Yeah, which yeah. is I, I like this. I think this would be f- an interesting one to play around with in your, mm. your gin and tonic. Yeah, definitely, definitely tonic. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, for me, I wouldn't like that necessarily in a martini because I think it's too big almost. I think that definitely with the tonic and you can pick up particularly nowadays that you have those wonderful tonics with lots of different um characteristics so you could could really draw out some of the herbs and you know lovely savory elements in that but yeah definitely a good one to play around with yeah i i agree i think definitely it's a a gnt martini Mm. for summer's day and you know as you say play around with the tonics play around with the garnishes yes i think try try all different silks yes. of citrus and you know and why ice cubes you know yeah. you can have your lovely long your, your ice time, cubes in yeah. a long oh, high, yeah, in yeah. a lovely yeah. highball glass and and stuff so yeah so what's it called again it is called gin d'azur and it costs 34 pounds 95 for a 70 cl bottle and as ever you can find details on the cocktail lovers website and instagram marvelous My choice this week is Birch Botanical Spirit. So it's something a little bit new. You know, we're not going for gin. We're not going for vodka. It's something probably, I guess, in in between the two. But actually, it's a botanical spirit and it's made from birch sap. Now, do you know much about birch? <laughs> well, let's put it like this. It's not going to be my specialist subject or mastermind <laughs> anytime soon. Okay. No, well, I know nothing about it. Well, there's a lot of things now that are being done with birch. Lots of, um, you can get some non-alcoholic spirits and also things like this, which is a, a botanical spirit. Now, birch sap is, is actually comes from the silver birch tree and it takes a lot of specialism to get this sap from the right. trees. So you tap on the trees and you can only tap during the specific harvesting time, which I'm told is about mid to late March. Okay. And then people, you know, as I say, it's a very specialist thing to do. <laughs> it's not a hobby, is it? Well, maybe it's a hobby for but, some people yeah. that love playing around with trees, but you have to know what you're doing. So you tap on, on the tree and I think... It's something like you make this hole in it and then the the sap is actually drained from the tree. I'm probably getting all of the terminology wrong, but the idea is with the silver birch trees, you drill the hole into the side of the tree and then the flow of the sap comes into a container. Um, You leave it overnight and then Mm. it collects and blah, 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 all of this. how much, you know, this isn't trying to get you to give me an answer mm. but I wonder how much you you get from that well if you tap at the right time a tree can produce up to five liters of, of birch but you can't in one day actually but you you're supposed to leave them to rest in between years because I think you know they have to replenish and things yeah. like that so it's a very it's highly prized but it's it's not uncommon but it is quite a hugely wonderful technique and you know it creates this wonderful birch water or sap so what they've done with this one this is actually from scotland and it's a lot in nordic countries as you can imagine they do a lot of birch things but this is actually in scotland in rural scotland And it's two two former colleagues, Tom Chisholm and Rupert Waits, who have created this business called Buck and Birch. And they have some other products, but this one is the, as I say, the botanical spirit. And it was first released in 2021. And this is their second batch, which apparently is long awaited. Maybe that's the press release. Maybe it's true. Who knows? But we just want to see what all the fuss is about with 
with oh. birch. And I love this bottle because it's very clean. It's very artisan. And yeah. then there's also a little twig of birch yeah. in the bottle. When so, I saw that sitting on, uh, by, by your space the other day, that really caught my eye. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. It's, I think that that really adds to the intrigue of it you know there's a slight tinge to the bottom not like when i was saying with the the ginger yeah. or this is actually a, yeah, a even tinge. I can see that from yeah, there, yeah exactly so it's got on the wild botanical spirit and as we say you know there's this lovely cleanness to it and on on the label it says introducing an incredible botanical spirit as pioneering distinctive and elegant as its namesake Pure spirit is married with raw sap and seasoned with wild birch flavours captured throughout the seasons for a smooth yet complex drink to be enjoyed neat or mixed. So this is what we're... I I can't wait to try it, actually. And as you were saying when you started off, it's always kind of interesting when you get something that isn't a category. Yeah, exactly. Not not gin or vodka, nothing with any of those, obviously. But when something doesn't fit into a category, it's really intriguing. Yeah, and I think in a way you can treat it like either a a vodka or a gin or think of it Mm. in those terms. So as they say, you can enjoy it neat or lengthened with a tonic. And also they also say that you could have it in a martini. So let's see what we think. I'm not getting too much on the nose. It's quite woody. Again, that could be the power of, of suggestion. But I think... Are you getting a bit woody? I'm trying to think what it is. It smells to me almost like a kind of a malty kind of... Okay, well, that's good. So, there's a, as I say, they have added, as well as the birch sap, there are other botanicals. So, they say, um, have you have you gone in yet? No. I'm, I'm intrigued, intrigued by, by the, the aroma. It's really lovely. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try. Hmm. It's actually quite sweet, isn't it? It's got some, it has got an alcoholic punch, but there's also a lovely malty, you said malty, oh, so maybe I've just stolen that from from you, but it has got some, there's quite some viscosity there. It has got, as you say, that maltiness, but a lovely sweet richness, Mm. it's quite creamy. I was at the back, you took the words literally out of my Mm. mouth there, creamy is, because I'm looking at your glass, the the older legs, as they call them, mm. in the glass are really intense, but actually in the mouth, mm. it's got a lovely mouthfeel. Yeah. What's the um, ABV on this? It is 39.6. Right, okay. And also they say 60.4% of what is in the bottle comes from the tree. So wow. they're okay. just adding some extra... Extra bits. Yeah, they say delicate notes of cucumber, rosemary and eucalyptus. More eucalyptus than cucumber or rosemary to me. I mean, we're tasting it at room temperature as we usually Mm. do. Mm. Would you like that? How would you like it? Well, I was about to say, I really like sipping it like Mm. this, to be honest. Really lovely. It's very clean. It's very Mm. crisp. And it it is different, you know. It's... Different enough that it intrigues, but not so different that it jars. You know, it's that sort of thing that, yeah, I love, even though I said actually that it's sweet, it has got, there is that lovely long finish, finish, which is really nice, that isn't sweet at all. It's it's just lovely, beautifully balanced, I would say. It's got a lot of flavour, actually. Mm. It's, It's got a lot of complexity, a lot of character. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to try this in a few things. Yes, um, they make- said chill in the freezer and serve neat, pour over ice and top with ice, soda and, and garnish with citrus. But I think you could really play around with that Definitely a worth lot. trying that martini. Yeah, exactly. So that's Birch Botanical Spirit from Buck and Birch, and it is £32.99. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Moat, the co-founder of Bittered Sling Bitters. And my cocktail hack is finding the right cocktail book. It should be the only thing that you do because bakers can't become great if they don't use a recipe and bartenders cannot become great without recipes. Learn the classics and get yourself a great cocktail book to use at home. I recommend the Savoy Cocktail Book, PDT, or Jeff Morgenthaler's Bar Book.
So recently we dropped into the American bar at the Savoy. Yeah, it's been a really long time. When was the last time that we went there? I, I can't remember. Obviously, post yeah, know, the last COVID two years, but even more so. Yeah, exactly. Six so months this year, yeah. probably what I know that we did, um, and we also covered in in the podcast the um, lovely terrace that they had, Solas yeah. at yeah. the Savoy. But actually, being in the American bar, it was a really nice welcome back. Oh, actually, so lovely mm. to walk back into that mm. place. It really felt like you know, sort of catching up with an old friend. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something talking about old friends. We could put our finger on it but it did feel different it looked like it had been spruced up a bit not yes. too yeah. not too zhuzhi but just fresher lighter fresh. brighter I, and i think you're right with the fact that we were both saying that when we were sitting there but couldn't put our finger mm. on it is is significant because you you kind of it's a place that you don't mess with it you're not going to say hey why don't we move the mm. bar to the other end of the room you, <laughs> no. you don't do that at the american bar but i think you know everything benefits from a little Wash and Wash brush, and up. brush up, yeah. absolutely, which yeah. it's had. And as has the, the menu and the bar team. So yeah. with this new menu that they've got, it's called Reinvented. And it's been created under the direction of one of our favourite ladies, Anna Sebastian, who was actually previously a bar manager downstairs at the Beaufort Bar. Yeah. But they've brought her in to to recreate the, the new menu. And she and the team have done an excellent job i think also what's worth saying before we delve a bit more into the menu because we were really lucky on that night we managed to grab a couple of seats at the bar because it is a small bar there's very very few seats at it so we were super lucky to get that not that we're never unhappy to sit anywhere in the Mm. american bar because it's all great but sitting at the bar it allowed us to have a little chat to some of the team about the menu and what was going on but I think we both commented on it. it was great to feel that energy back in the room. Oh, yes, it? absolutely. Yeah. Really, really good. And it's worth noting for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, why wouldn't you? But maybe why would you? So the American Bar first opened in 1893 and it served all the great and the good, everyone from Winston Churchill and Ernest Hemingway to Frank Sinatra and all sorts, actually, yeah, hasn't it? Absolutely. And and us. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, oh, it's had Lord. some really yeah. iconic people, not just in front of the bar, but also behind the bar. Yes, so, yes. you know, we've had the wonderful Ada Coleman and Harry Craddock. We've had people like Peter Dorelli and Eric Lorenz more recently. Recently. And what this menu does, it actually honours all of the people that have served behind the bar, actually. Yeah. And it's taken some of their most iconic drinks and brought them up to date by using different techniques, zhuzhing them up with different ingredients, but still honouring their past. Yeah. What I liked as well is it does that, but not in a heavy-handed way. No. So it's not a menu where you see a drink and then you read a sort of essay about it in fact apart from the introduction that explains what you've just said Mm. you choose the drinks on their merits yes and then if you want to you can say oh this is lovely oh this is interesting what's the story yeah and they they do want you they'd love you to 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 talk about it but if you don't want to and you just want to enjoy the drink that's pretty welcome too so i was so intrigued because you know we've been talking about our hanky panky for the past few episodes yeah, it's and i've been a drink of ours it's really it? has yeah and what they've done here which i thought was really clever was a hanky panky highball mm. so it's taken the drink it's taken all of the the roots and the dna of that drink and elevated it into something else longer more actually not more refreshing but it's just a different style of drink so i was super interested in that one that has bombay sapphire gin carta blanca rum cocky torino vermouth ruby port chinar orange and tonic water and oh my mouth is all watering again just (laughs) thinking about it so you had that lovely bitterness but there's also richness and and sweetness and and all of the elements that i love in the hanky panky but just taken into a different direction mm. and it just really I know worked it was, beautifully you absolutely loved it and yes. I, I did too when you yes. allowed me a little little sip mm. um, um, meanwhile i had spring is in the air 
which was apparently based on a Harry Craddock cocktail, which interestingly was something he created apparently when the bar had gone through a reopening. So sort of another reopening, if you like. And this was made with Eco Spirits Portobello Gin, something called Hercules, and Martini Abrato Vermouth. Yeah, and but you have to go a little bit more into detail on the Hercules because. I was going oh, to. okay. Sorry. I was, I was just pausing. Forgive for me. There. <laughs> what I was going to say was the Hercules, it's actually featured in a lot of the original old Savoy, uh, Savoy recipes that you see in the Savoy cocktail book. And very enterprisingly, it, you know, no one could find it. A lot of people didn't even know what it was, but now they've they've brought it back. Well, the Portobello Road Distillery have have reinvented it actually, mm. which is fantastic. So to have this spirit, which people have been trying to recreate or trying yeah. to reimagine what it must have tasted like, and the uh, Jake Berger and the team at Portobello have actually remodelled it. The other thing I like about the menu is that. They've described each cocktail with just three words. So mm. that's really an easy way. So, for instance, this one is described as herbaceous, delicate and light. Yeah, I love those descriptions because it's one of those ones, if you're just looking at a menu and trying to think, what mood am I in? You can't quite work out what all the ingredients might be or how they're balanced. But if you're looking at those three words, I think that's enough to guide you into the style of drink. That Yeah, that and you... this, I mean, this was a very tasty drink drink Mm. they described it as a sort of a white negroni and i wouldn't disagree with that and it's just kind of a softer if you like negroni and uh you know i love a negroni at the best of times but this was just a nice alternative take on it as i say a little bit softer creamier more rounded and very very tasty i thought Mm. and my second drink was the passing torch which is in honour of Peter Dorelli and for his tradition of creating cocktails for family members and passing on, really. So this one is Diplomatico Planas Rum, Seven Tails XO Brandy, Wankan Can, Pomegranate and Celery Bitters. And just like Peter, absolutely wonderful drink, this one. I can't remember what the three words that they use to describe it, but really good. All of the the drinks, I, you know, I don't think there's anything that's too jarring on this menu. No. They're very... Um, crowd-pleasing drinks actually very cleverly so nothing wrong with that absolutely which brings me on to my second drink which is called the savoy bells and i was really intrigued by this i'll just tell what was in it first patron silver tequila white port perlo santo eau de vie with a red wine float and i just read that oh and the description was wood floral jam And I asked one of the team there about this and they kind of said, well, it's almost like a cross between a margarita and a New York sour. And I thought, Mm. well, I've got to try that (laughs) because it's so intriguing. And I love a New York sour anyway. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to try this. And it looked amazing because you've got that red wine floating on the top. Oh, yeah. And you can either stir it in or I just prefer to sip it through that and let it blend in naturally as you drink. But I would just say this was absolutely delicious and it's it's one of those drinks i would just go back to order this drink Mm. well like me with the hanky panky highball i think so i think they've definitely got some great drinks on there as or bangers as the kids would like to say (laughs) and uh, it was really lovely to be back we think they've done a great job with the menu and also the setting it felt really relaxing and very um yeah great to be back absolutely welcome back to the american bar the brand new issue of the cocktail lovers magazine is available now and the theme rather fittingly is in with the new we look at the best new bar openings around the world some of the new bottles to have in your drinks cabinet and we celebrate five classic cocktails reimagined for modern palettes and there's a whole lot more even the magazine has a brand new look To discover more and find out how to get your copy in print or on digital, see thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine. Well, there's so many occasions coming up at the moment. And one of them that I've 
latched on to, and we'll also allude to this with our guests this week, but it's um, World Music Day or Make Music Day on the 21st of June. So with this in mind, I've picked up from our library a book called Booze and Vinyl, A Spirited Guide to Great Music and Mixed Drinks. What a great combo. Yeah, and it really is a great combo. And this is by um, a brother and sister, Andre and Tanaya Darlington. And they're both food and drinks and travel journalists and writers. And they've they've combined forces with this book. And I think they've had a heap of fun putting it all together because they've sort of put together a collection of, of vinyls, everything from rock to hip-hop to chill to all kinds of things. You yeah, know, yeah. we've got things like The Cars, we've got Led Zeppelin, we've got Snoop Dogg, we've got Jackson Brown, Frank Sinatra. I mean, something for everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. is covered in, in this book. And what they've done, they've really broken it down really, really well because on each section... They have actually pulled out cocktails to go with the mood of music. So they want you to have a kind of listening party, as it were. So you choose your album. Right. And then you have like choices of drinks. And the drinks actually have A and B sides, which I think is really clever. (laughs) People who remember A and B sides. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yes, exactly. That that really goes back. These young kids are like, what are you even talking about A and B sides? But trust us, kids, it was a thing. But so they have little notes about the album in question. And it's really nice. You can can learn about. Yeah. So I'm looking at Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones. So the notes they have. This record is dirty. From Andy Warhol's album cover of a blue jeans clad crotch to the loose lyrics, Sticky Fingers is all bravado and sleaze. Prepare to rock, sway, testify and boogie to the Stones' ninth studio album and the first one without former lead singer Brian Jones. So those sort of things. And then it goes into Before You Drop the Needle, which I quite like. Wow. It's um, <laughs> It gives you some tips on setting the mood. So in for this one, we'll stick with um, Sticky Fingers. Roll into breakfast with brown sugar by glazing some cinnamon rolls or voting somebody to make pancakes. Sticky Fingers is our go-to New Year's Day brunch album. Nice. So that gives it, it sets the scene. There's some pictures of a brunch set up. And then it will give you the A and B side cocktails that you can make for your party. So the A side is a tequila sunrise. And then the B side is Jack and Coke and Coors beer on the side, you know. (laughs) So it's just really nice. And every single album that they've picked up is described in that way so you know they've got things that actually four parties of 20 to 30 people so they've got the batched um, recipes or just more intimate things as well they also tell you things on how to dress for this party all sorts yeah, of things. I love the cover as well. Can you yes, pass it a bit closer? Yes, I'm exactly. A bit here, but I love the cover because it's got that thing that anyone who sort of has vinyl or grew up with vinyl or has been part of their lives, that thing that you you always recognise when you see all the the albums stacked on a yes. shelf side by side. You can just about read the sort of the name of the band and the the artist and the name of the the, the album down the side on the spine. So they've got that and they've slipped in there their own one there but also they've got embossed like a gold martini martini glass glass, which looks it's just a nice graphic cover i really like that yeah and it it gives you details on how to set up your listening party and details how to host and you know it's broken down some cocktails as well into their favorite two and three ingredient cocktails i just think it's a really nice book i mean it's fun but a lot of work's gone into it a lot of work and it as you say, it is fun and it would work from anything from if you're a student in college right through to wanting to host a, a nice, fun summer party. Yeah. So that is our pick, particularly because it celebrates World Music Day or Make Music Day or Make Music and Cocktails Day, as we're going to say, <laughs> which is coming up on the 21st of June. It's published by Running Press and it is 1999.
John Nicholl has been a professional musician all his working life, over 20 years. He's worked as a composer and producer, as well as performing all around the world. He's written songs and music for himself and other artists, as well as scoring movies. As an avid music lover, he also hosts Vinyl Voyage on Ramsgate Radio, where he delves into his extensive personal vinyl record collection. And his podcast, Sounds from the Imaginary Record Shop, is a very personal selection based on the music he'd encourage visitors to check out in this dream of a music store. Three nights a week, though, you can catch him performing live in the American Bar at the Savoy in London. Resident at the bar for some 17 years, he's always dapper in faultless evening dress. He's an essential ingredient, as much as the classic cocktails, in creating elegant evenings to remember in this iconic bar, providing a soundtrack of jazz standards, modern classics, music from much-loved musicals, and plenty of surprises, familiar but always with his own unique interpretation. John, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for such a lovely welcome on a Monday morning. That's as good as it gets. Thank you. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you with us, John, because you always bring the energy and the light when we visit the American bar. And the last time we came in, it was so lovely to see your welcoming face. Yes, so, so much. We, yeah, we couldn't wait to have you on the podcast. So, first of all, tell us about your journey into music. Was it always going to be your thing, and how and when did you get started? I think it always was, really. I think from the age of about six or seven, yeah, uh, music was, has always been my, my main deal in life. The, really, the burning bush moment for me was I, I saw, this is genuinely true, I saw there's a, a, a documentary about Elvis Presley, which was filmed in 1970, called That's the Way It Is, which covered his preparations for his first summer season in Vegas. So he's very, very slim, very cool looking, at the peak of his powers, really. And I remember playing with my toy cars on the floor when that was on TV, and I saw it, and... There's no, it sounds kind of like hyperbole, but it changed my life. I thought just seeing someone that charismatic and performing at the peak of their powers and the, the, the audience transfixed by him and the music that he was making, it literally was, I want to have some of that, please. I thought for one minute I could be an Elvis Presley, but just the energy and the, the apparent self-assurance and the, yeah, the ease with which he seemed to command what he was doing, and uh, yeah, it, it, I thought I want to be a musician. So from that that moment on, I can say that's when I knew I wanted to be a musician. Actually, there's a touch of the young Elvis about you, John. I must say, <laughs> yet young. So I'm probably, I'm two years older than he was when he died. Now, so <laughs> crikey, don't tell anyone. You don't look it. <laughs> so yeah, so music was always from 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 that literally that age that kind of really shaped everything. So I, my, my my parents bought me my first little guitar. And I became an Elvis obsessive kind of, that was my, my main deal in life. So buying Elvis tapes and records and uh, kind of through that, I got very much to fit into 40s and 50s and 60s music too. So all the Sinatra, Crosby, Tony Bennett, the Beatles, everything really, particularly for my kind of parents' generation, I just consumed at a, to a really obsessive degree and never had any formal lessons, but basically sat up in my room and accompanied myself on guitar and learned millions of songs from that era. And and how did it then progress? How did you actually start sort of making a living out of it? Yeah, well, I realised, I guess, kind of uh, in the early years of secondary school, <clears throat> so I suppose kind of 12 to 14, that actually what was quite different about me compared to other kids who played music was that I, I just had thousands and thousands of songs in my brain. And that also I, I just sat, had sung and played for a lifetime. And so it was very... You know, I wasn't a, a hugely confident person, but I just found I felt perfectly comfortable to stand up in front of any amount of people and just play and sing because it's what I'd done literally forever. And so very quickly, I ended up playing in lots of bands on guitar, actually, and singing with older guys. So guys who are probably my age now when I was kind of 13 and 14, you know, classic kind of your typical kind of UK pub band playing, you know, Beatles and Stones and rock and roll and blues. And, you know, so literally from 13 and 14 at the weekend, I might well be playing at a a garden fete or, a, or, or in a pub, you know, and I'd be earning 60 quid playing with guys who were three times my age. And so I realised pretty quickly that, God, you know, I, I, I can earn money doing this. Mm, yeah. And so it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. So I never really had that kind of careers crisis where I sat down and thought, you know, could I monetize this? It just really happened from a really, really early age. Um, and so 
it was kind of yeah it was a no-brainer it's just what but but how did it come from being in your bedroom to being invited to perform with these people how did they know about you how did you get it out there I I think really um I I guess I was actually my my parents used to go to lots of folk clubs as well and and things like that and it became you know and so even from the age of eight and stuff I became kind of known as a slightly strange child who the guitar was four times bigger than me but i could i just had quite an eccentric repertoire for a young kid and so you know so so yeah by kind of 13 14 i was a a seasoned pro (laughs) (laughs) wow having my ready to retire and having career crises at 14 (laughs) has been at 15 (laughs) so you've mentioned elvis being the person that really inspired you and also yeah. saying about that you you also listen to your mum and dad's repertoire. So can you tell us some of your musical influences then and also now? Yeah, well, I've, as you mentioned before, I have a really big vinyl collection. And so I would say really shaped by, yeah, initially my parents, my dad's a big Beatles fan. Um, my mum was more into Elvis and the rock and rollers, the Everly Brothers, Elvis, Buddy Holly. Um, and so and the great thing about that kind of material is unlike some of the jazz more kind of like, American songbook stuff I play on piano now, that stuff is very easily performable with quite basic skills on guitar. So you can play a Buddy Holly song and certainly the early Beatles stuff and the early Stones and Eddie Cochran, Every Brother stuff on guitar with quite minimal skills, really. You know, they've only got four or five chords. You can reproduce those sounds quite faithfully with quite basic skills. And that was a really, really big thing for me. I think so many kids who learn formally, you know, they're not things you can necessarily sit down and perform to people that are going to kind of impress people. But from a very, very early age, I could sing songs that your grannies and your parents and people my own age would, could sing along with. Like I saw her standing there or Peggy Sue by the Every Brothers. So it was a very, from the nature of the, the stuff that I picked up from my parents and was listening to myself, it was a very sociable kind of music. Yeah. That I get, I think from a young age really, blew my mind because I realized that as an eight-year-old I could sit in a, in a slightly kind of strange working man's pub or whatever and play something and you could literally watch the the molecular structure of a room would change I'd be this little kid who'd be completely ignored and suddenly you're playing Streets of London or Peggy Sue or Stand By Me by Benny King and everybody turns around and starts singing along and at the end of it people come around they're patting your shoulder can I buy you a Coke, whatever. So there was a kind of, without sounding like an uh, over-egging it too much, there was, a, I, I, I guess I recognised a kind of power in, in that, much like lots of kind of bartender friends have. You, you realise that actually these concoctions and this mixology, you know, it's a social, a real social green card that, that unlike, yeah, quite unique, I guess there aren't many things in life that can literally you know, give you a level playing field. So prime ministers and kings to the person sweeping the floor in the bathroom, uh, you know, everyone's kind of, it's a level playing field. Mm. Everyone's kind of, it's a real leveler, music and food and drink, I guess. And it's interesting because a lot of the names you're mentioning, it's a really eclectic sort of selection of people that you, you talk about and you're inspired by. And how did that sort of progress from doing those sort of, those kind of very impromptu sort of gigs in working men's clubs or whatever folk club when it became more of your you know ongoing life because i know you've you know you've you've started composing you've scored movies there's all sorts of other things how did that sort of journey progress well i think that the the key things that's kind of changed for me really is i'd always noodled and messed around on piano just like i had guitar really guitar was what i was locked into playing you know so if if i was doing it from the age of about 19, I did not, or 18, I did an audition for an agent and he supplied clubs and, and bars around Scandinavia with musicians. So for about three years, I was locked into kind of being a guitarist and singing in Denmark and Norway, which was a really great adventure, actually. And then I had a little bit of lab, record label interest as a singer-songwriter. I had some management and stuff. And I again, I'm still in my early 20s at this point. And so came back to the UK and nearly got a record deal, didn't quite get a record deal, blah, blah, blah. And then the key thing that changed for me was that I did an audition for an agent called Gary Parks, who I still work for now, who still handles me at the Savoy Hotel. And I turned up at his house with my guitar and he listened to me play guitar and sang. So that's great. Do you play piano? I said, yeah, I do play piano a bit. He said, can I hear you do that? And so I sat down and did kind of 20 minutes on the piano. And he said, well, actually, you're more used to me as a pianist because I basically supply London hotels with pianist singers. So I was like, oh, okay, right, all right. And so 
uh, so for a few months, I was playing little hotels. The first gig I ever did for him was the Churchill Hotel in Portman Square in the cigar lounge, the cigar bar. Mm. Yeah. A little bit out of my depth. It was like a kind of three or four hour gig. And I sat there and I just basically did my, my guitar repertoire on piano. But I very quickly realized that actually on sitting piano, there are, you know, there are, there are certain things that kind of lend themselves to piano. And there's certain things I can do with my piano and voice that I might not necessarily do so much on guitar. You know, I've always, I'd always loved all the, as I mentioned before, all the forties and fifties crooners and singers, but actually, you know, a fly me to the moon or a Nat King Cole, let there be love or a, you know, a Tony Bennett or an Ella Fitzgerald. It was difficult to kind of translate those things quite so successfully or logically on guitar. Whereas piano suddenly I thought all these kind of Sinatra things and Bing Crosby things, they kind of make more sense sitting at a piano. They, they, they work now. And at that period, Harry Connick Jr. was a really was a really big thing. I remember seeing him probably ten years before doing "It Had to Be You" on the you know on TV, and that was a big hit when Harry met Sally. And so suddenly, I was kind of channeling my inner, inner Harry Connick. And and you do look like him as well. I must say, <laughs> I take all of these things. Thankfully, no TV. The footage attached to this podcast. So yeah, I'll take that. Um, and so I, I kind of slipped into doing a lot more kind of 40s and 50s croon, croony, crooning kind of stuff, you know. And I still had, of course, all the 50s and 60s rock and roll stuff at my disposal. But certainly, you know, from there on in, really, I guess, again, I became quite unique because there weren't many guys in the early 20s who could do four hours of kind of mm. 40s material. And, you know, and I could. I, I had to kind of hone it a bit um, because I, you know, the, you know, lots of that stuff I, I wasn't quite so familiar with. I knew it to listen to, but hadn't played it. But really, I, you know, like, like, um, it was kind of a, a free market research because playing in those venues. And of course the Savoy hotel then came along about six months into working for that agent, Gary Parks. So literally those venues and that venue in particular, the Savoy really shaped exactly what I do now. Cause I was there hearing what people were requesting and that has really informed exactly what I play now to this very day. So you were all sitting at the piano. So you could give us a little bit of a tinkle until we get into our next question, because we love listening to you, John. We know that our listeners will too. So could you just give us a little bit of flavour? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll do um, probably one of the most requested songs actually ever. Strange enough, or not strange enough, I don't, I'm not sure it's flying to the moon. It, mm. just, it's, it follows me around wherever I go. So I'll do a little bit of that. Fantastic. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. And other words hold my hand. And other words, darling, won't you kiss me? Monday morning. That is so incredible. Thank you so much. Quite early. Yes, thank you. That was great. So now we've had a little bit of tinkle and hopefully we'll have a little bit more. But good music and cocktails, they're a wonderful combination together, each complementing each other. How do you go about doing your set for the evening because it's so wonderful to see how it builds throughout and you're always watching what's going on and I just love to know how you go about compiling your set. Yeah, it's a really free form affair really. A lot of people ask me that question, do I have a kind of a pre-ordained, kind of pre-programmed idea of what, of what I'm going to do and I, I don't really I suppose I mean I, I, I have you know I, I know what kind of works in that environment so I guess I have a kind of a vague blueprint so generally my default setting for instance I'm, I'm in the Savoy tonight actually so it will be when I sit down at that piano tonight in my tuxedo I will sit there and I'll I will kick off generally quite croony quite backgroundy quite swingy and again this has just been shaped by experience of playing in that room for so so many years but my feeling seems to be that 
early evening is yeah uh, you know it's it's a very it's quite a loud very hubbubby conversational time of night people are often decompressing after work maybe they've just finished work just had a meeting having a drink before they go home or they're having a drink before they go out for a meal or to the theater and so i don't want to really get in the way of anything so i keep it very laid back very croony a pleasant sound but nothing that demands attention you know so i keep it very yeah american song but very sonata very rap packy and then that can change if somebody comes up and requests something specific. And obviously I'll play whatever that anybody asks if I can. And that then might change the direction that I go in a bit. But generally the blueprint would be nice and swingy. First couple of hours, I take a little break, come back. And then at that point, when I come back kind of 8.30ish, it's a slightly different atmosphere. It's slightly later in the evening. People, you know, um, and so then I might get a bit more, a bit more, I might deviate a bit more from the American songbook stuff and do something a bit more bluesy, a bit more rock and rolly, sing a little bit more contemporary, maybe a bit more Motown or soul, and just get a bit more expansive as, as the evening progresses. But the the, the, the dead set is that I start off, the, you know, the, the yeah, nice and swingy and uh, kind of Harry Connicky and, and croony is, is is the default setting for me, really. How is it for, as an artist, because most artists, you want to be the centre of attention, say, but in a bar situation, you're quite background. How is that for your ego? So, again, people often ask that question. People go and say, are you okay with the fact that everybody's ignoring Mm. you? I I really, to be honest, having played in that kind of venue for so many years, it's simply what the space requires. So... I've always been a big believer in the fact that the music should be a level in, in I think we chatted about this when I saw you a, few, a month or so ago, that in my opinion, it needs to be in the level where if you want to pay attention to it, you really can and enjoy it. If you don't particularly want to pay attention to it, it shouldn't be at a level where it's going to ruin your evening and you've got to move elsewhere to get the hell out of the air of the, of the way. So for me, if, if, if I'm kind of, kind of being ignored in a way that tells me I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. So I can see that I'm getting a few tips on the corner of the piano. I can see people are smiling at me. People are saying nice things as they leave occasionally if I'm lucky. And that's every, everybody's happy. You know, what I don't want is two or three people really being into it and hooping and hollering and shouting. And the rest of the people kind of sitting there looking a bit kind of nonplussed and thinking, Oh God, you know, we, we want to have a conversation. This isn't the space for us, you know, because a place like the American bar you know, it really isn't about me. And in the same way, it's not about the person behind the bar making a drink specifically. The sum, what's that expression? The sum is greater than its parts, I guess. And so everyone needs to work together to make it this one lovely experience. And there's not really a room for any any particular individual to be vying for attention. And so from an ego point of view as a musician, yeah, that, that you know, I need to be aware of that. You, you must have had some great, experiences and memories over the years playing at the Zafoy. Are there any that you can share with us that spring to mind in sort of great moments for you? Yeah, there really have been some, there've been some amazing moments. There really, there really, there really, really have been so many in fact, but I, I think I, I often tell people that uh, I think one of the most extraordinary experiences was, 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 was meeting Amy, Amy Winehouse actually in the bar that there was, a, um, and I need to do my research and, and work out exactly when this was because I might be, I might be telling people it happened after she died. So I need to get my sums right. So I, I won't tell you how long ago it was because people stop believing the story then when, then when I get, get my sums wrong, but it, it was, it was a quite a quiet night. I walked into the bar and um, realized quite quickly that Amy Winehouse was sitting immediately opposite the piano. She was the only person clapping. And then she said, can I come and, and join you for a few songs? And she so she sat, sat next, sat with me on the piano bench and sang for kind of 25 minutes. Wow. Was, that was really, really oh, magical. My goodness. Quite a night. So it wasn't like the, the the bar didn't erupt in, in you know, applause or hysteria. Hysteria. It was literally just her and me singing songs. Wow! For, so that was really magical. Mm. Can, can you, you remember know. what you sang or any of what you sang? Yeah, yeah. I, I can. Um, the first, the first thing she sang was "What a Difference a Day." Uh, this one. Uh, what a difference a day makes. And it was like having a Billie Holiday sitting next to oh. the piano. It was just really, really, and she was really at the peak of her success. So "Back to Black" was number one everywhere. And so that was written, and she also sang uh, lots of girl group stuff from the 60s, of course, which she loved, like uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? And she did um, Go to the Chapel and win. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So that was really magical, I think. Um, so that was definitely a highlight. Met Tom Jones many, many times, uh, and uh, he's sat and had a beer with him many times, and he's told me lots of stories about when he used to hang, hang out with Elvis in his suite in Vegas. That's been <laughs> my incredible. Uh, Paul McCartney was definitely a highlight. He he um, 
he sang harmony with me as I did a couple of Everly Brothers songs. Wow. Told me about when he hung out with Elvis in... Uh, in, in <laughs> All paths lead back to Elvis. And they me. really uh, do. <laughs> meeting, a, meeting, a, meeting a Beatle was just extraordinary. I, 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 my dad, as I mentioned before, is a huge Beatles fan. And so when I took my break, I phoned my dad straight away and said, Dad, I've just met a Beatle. And without a blink of an eye, he said, Ringo doesn't count. And then he was genuinely <laughs> Honestly, Dad, that's fantastic. That's great. I, don't, I believe also, uh, you, I remember you mentioned, well, you got you actually had uh, got the nod from one of our heroes, Burt Bacharach. Oh, crikey. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, yes, that was... That was really extraordinary. I've, I've always been, as probably most musicians are, and rightfully so, very intimidated by Burt Bacharach. And he he has he does tend to come in if he's doing something in London, if he's doing a show, or yeah, he he comes in quite regularly. And yes, there was one occasion when he he, he came in. I thought, oh man, I, I, I just feel really. It, also, he sat behind the piano. Oh my god! <laughs> I just my lack of technique is. And uh, but actually, you know what? He couldn't have been he couldn't have been more wonderful. So when I finished, he. He asked if I'd join him for a glass of champagne, which I did, and sat with his wife, him and his wife, and his, his really charming son, who I think is in his mid thirties or early thirties. And uh, he was it, it, just, I mean, just, just utter. I want to say, I don't want to say rock royalty because he's, I guess, a pop classicist really, but just music royalty. Mm. And he wrote me a lovely note, framed in my office upstairs, and just again, you know, like with you guys when you do, do your travels and you meet these utter legends, you kind of. You kind of, when you've met these people and they're human, you kind of forget about who they are until then you're in your car and you hear, you know, Dionne Warwick singing about Baccarat thing. And you think, Christ, I've met that person. Yes. I've yes. hung out with that person. Yes. And it's just, you know, who would trade those stories? Just yeah. magical. Absolutely magical. And let me think that cocktails and music have brought you together. So speaking of that, what's your personal perfect song and cocktail combination? Well, perfect is the key word here because um, this is a really extraordinary. Well, to me, it's it's well, it's I wouldn't say it's an extraordinary story, but to me, it's a magical story. Again, to use that word, I guess it, this would have been about my first year in the American bar. So again, yeah, seventeen, eighteen years ago, I was in my early twenties, and I was sitting doing what I do, play, playing piano and singing. And a chap, a very elegant guy, might have even been a ghost. He was so elegant. Came down with a with a beautiful nineteen twenties trilby hat. Walked down the stairs, stopped at the piano, and said, "A glass of champagne for me and a perfect Manhattan for the piano player." Wow! Wow! Now, I'd never had a perfect Manhattan. I, I, what an extraordinary thing! So I'd never had a perfect Manhattan before, and I so you know, Julie, this this amazing concoction arrived at the piano, and I took a sip, and I thought, "Wow, that's uh, that's a keeper." That I feel instantly better. And I, I, I uh, so that is now after all from that mysterious kind of occurrence, that is my go-to drink. If someone says, if someone says, can I buy you a cocktail? I'll always order a perfect Manhattan. That's it's amazing. And who was it that ordered it? Do you know? I don't, I don't know. He sent me another one. So I had two that night and I was high as a kite. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him ever again and never, I mean, what, I mean, I guess it's reason, it's a reasonably kind of arcane thing to order a perfect stranger because mm. I mean, you know, not likes that kind of cocktail but it, it was like he just knew what i needed <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so it's been and, and you know it's quite a heady cocktail as you know and if you've been playing piano for a couple of hours it really does it well it, you know you feel you feel a lot better <laughs> <laughs> definitely before we do go would you play us out with one of your perfect songs to end an evening? I think, um, actually, I'd love to dedicate this song to a lovely chap. When I started the American Bar all those years ago, the um, head bartender of the bar was a, a, a beautiful gentleman called Celine Corey, uh, um, who'd been working, well, when he retired, he'd been in the bar, in the hotel for 37 years, and he passed away summertime last year. And he was such a beautiful, elegant gentleman I mean, I was so young and so green around the gills when I started in that bar. And he was never anything but utterly, utterly honourable and very, very gentle with me. And he could have been an absolute arse. You know, he could have been very, very snobbish and and whatever. But he was so charming and so never anything but lovely to me. And he, the only thing he'd ever asked for me, he'd come to me on occasion and say, would you play as time goes by? Which I would do every night for him at least once. So I, I'd like to 
Minister Salim, and uh, also to anybody who's ever been in the American bar and all our friends who are listening to this who haven't been in yet but will be in soon. So here's As Time Goes By. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh is still a sigh. The fundamental things apply. As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can't lie The world will always welcome a lover's Jealousy and hate Woman needs man and man must have a maze That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory And a case of do or die was incredible thank you so, so much john i'm in tears actually it's yeah. beautiful no that is thank one of my so favorite much. favorite songs of all time as well <laughs> oh yeah it's it, it just is it, built for that environment isn't it yes and also for Celine, how beautiful thank yes. you oh, so yeah, so no. much and for anybody who hasn't seen john at the american bar you must do that was just a teeny bit of the flavour of what he brings to the whole atmosphere and the beauty of that bar. So please do go and see him and tell him that the Cocktail Lovers sent you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.